mate, when it's this beautiful day like it is today, this the office is is absolutely gorgeous. You know, the water is flat at the moment. Uh, there's not a cloud in the sky. Uh, you know, you're out in the boats, um, and that's the beauty of farmer noises. Is is the office place? It's amazing. We're right in the middle of nature. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. The Australian oyster industry has a rich history that is intertwined with the contributions of Greek immigrants. These immigrants played a crucial role in the development of the industry, particularly in the early to mid 20th century. Greek immigrants first arrived in Australia in significant numbers in the late 19th century. Many of these immigrants were skilled fishermen who were experienced in cultivating and harvesting oysters. They brought with them a wealth of knowledge and expertise in the art of oyster farming, which helped to establish and develop the industry in Australia. One of the key contributions of Greek immigrants to the Australian oyster industry was the introduction of a new oyster farming technique. They brought with them innovative methods of cultivating oysters, such as the use of racks and trays to increase the productivity of oyster farms. These techniques helped to increase the efficiency of oyster farming and enabled Australian oyster farmers to produce larger quantities of oysters. Greek immigrants also played a significant role in establishing the infrastructure for the oyster industry. They built the first oyster processing plants and established distribution networks that enabled Australian oysters to be sold both domestically and internationally. Furthermore, Greek immigrants were instrumental in the development of the local community around the oyster industry. The Yiannaris family are a classic story of immigration. They are proud people of Thessaloniki, a vibrant coastal port, and are warm, welcoming, and proud of their cultural heritage. Their love of food, music, and the arts is a reflection of the city's vibrant and diverse culture. Jimmy and his identical twin brother, Johnny Yiannaris, are hero progeny of the wave of immigrants into Australian post the Second World War. I'm Jim Yiannaris. Uh, I'm on the Clyde River in beautiful Batemans Bay. Um, yeah, and I'm an oyster farmer. It goes back a long way. It goes back when my father, our father, and I'll say our because this journey has been with my twin brother, not alone. So whenever I'll say our, I mean John and I. And uh, our father migrated from Greece to Australia and uh, he was around about 15. And his first job was in St Kilda and he worked for a a, a fishmonger there who was also Greek and they would uh, open their oysters. So uh, he worked in the fish shop. He learnt how to open oysters there. He then worked for Phillips who were at the time the largest growers and wholesalers of oysters uh, in Sydney and they had a, a, uh, a big processing plant in Melbourne and he was fascinated with the industry so he when he was in his early 20s, he packed up and he moved to Sydney and worked in Tarrant Point where all their farms were on the Georges River. They also had farms elsewhere on the Hawkesbury and things like that. And uh, he bought his first oyster lease in 1970 on the Clyde River. At that stage, me and John were probably three, four years old. So we were in the industry with we would, uh, you know, chase crabs and do all the things that little kids do because it's the best environment. It's not like these other workplaces. You go to a shed or 
or um, you know mechanics workshop, something like that. This here was a big playground uh, for all kids, and um, and we would learn the oysters. Uh, we would open oysters. Dad then taught us how to open oysters, and um, we would have been probably about eight years old when we started opening oysters for market. We were only opening about 10 dozen. It would take us 10 dozen uh, a half an hour, somewhere there it was. But we would take it in turns. So I'd open five dozen. Of course, we were eight years old and you couldn't reach the bench. The benches were 900 high, just a normal size, like a kitchen bench, say, kitchen sink. And, um, and uh, Dad would put a, a milk crate and, uh, you know, I'd jump on it and do five dozen and then tag John in and he'd do five dozen. And uh, by the time we were about 10, I think, a couple of years later, we had our own benches and, you know, we were probably doing 20, 25 dozen an hour, something like that. And, um, and that's where the opening started and also the farming because we th- then acquired more oyster leases. Um, we... Um, uh, we were working on school holidays and after school weekends and um, we were 14 and 9 months when we left school uh, we couldn't wait to leave school uh, because we wanted to we were so eager to get into the industry and and um, and get in there and just grow it and so pretty much when we left school the old man kind of uh, took a bit of a back, you know, he was he was just directing a little bit of play there. But by the time we were about 17, 18, we had the full reins of uh, operating everything, which was consisted of uh, about 17 uh, hectares of water. And, uh, and of course, we were wholesaling oysters uh, into the Sydney, uh, Canberra market. We were averaging somewhere like in between two and two and a half thousand dozen a week. And, um, and yeah, that was, that's the short story of, uh, of, of 40 years, um, well, 50 years, really, 50 years. That's a short story of 50 years, yeah. The region surrounding the Clyde River in New South Wales is known for its natural beauty, wildlife and cultural heritage. The river flows through lush forests and hills and is home to various fish species. The region has a rich indigenous history and visitors can explore historic sites and enjoy outdoor activities like kayaking, fishing and bird watching. Most importantly, it is also a powerhouse estuary in the production of high quality Sydney rock oysters. What's special about the Clyde is it's an amazing river. It's a huge river. It's got a lot of other small inlets that go like Simon Mellows Creek and and uh, Waterfall Creek, Buttonboro Creek, all these other big creeks that kind of flow into the Clyde River. The catchment is huge. Um, it goes right up into the Clyde Mountain. It runs right up to the back of Milton Ulladulla. A lot of people don't know that the catchment right up in the back of Milton Ulladulla. It's a huge catchment. And it's all state forest, national forest. It's very, very little farming, very, very little farming in Nelligan a little bit, and that's that's all little patches here and there. So it's um, uh, it's very pristine water, and um, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful beautiful river. It's got, got a big bay as we know it, um, and um, and yeah, that's what's so fascinating about the Clyde River. 
The Clyde River in New South Wales is an ideal location for growing rock oysters. The river's unique mix of fresh and salt water creates ideal growing conditions, providing a constant flow of nutrients and ensuring a high level of water quality. The river's sheltered location protects the oysters from harsh weather conditions and predators, allowing them to grow and develop naturally. This, along with the expertise of farmers such as Jimmy and Johnny Ianaris, make the Clyde River renowned for producing high quality oysters with a distinct flavour and texture. I guess it's a salinity, you know, a lot of people uh, with the taste of oysters, uh, for instance, you know, they always say, oh, this oyster had this flavour and whatever. With the Clyde River, we can start from the bridge and we'll go to all the bays and little creeks and we'll sample, sample the oysters and we'll get that nice uh, salty type flavour. And as we keep going further up and up and up the river, because the salinity drops, the oyster gets sweeter because there's not as much salt in it. And provide, depending on what time of the year we do this, so if we've got a lot of rain in the winter time, whatever, there's more fresh, so the oyster's a little bit more sweeter. So we'll experience all these beautiful flavours and then we'll do the same journey, the same experience, say, in three months' time uh, when it's springtime, and the flavours will change. Uh, and it's because of that. It's because of the catchment and how much rain we get in the mountains, and it always, the flavours of, of uh, the Clyde River always change. If you have a look at Milton, uh, 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 Marimbula and places where they're lake, they're very, very salty, beautiful oysters. They've got m amazing oysters there too, but it's very salty, you know what I mean? They don't have that added fresh water, which gives it that sweetness. That's, that's what I've found. That's my experience with the Clyde. Over the years, there's been a significant change in the way Sydney rock oysters are farmed, which has contributed to an increase in their quality. The Yianaris boys have been across all of these changes over the years. I call it the Stone Age, the Timber Age, and now the Single Seed Age. So when we first uh, entered the industry 55 years ago, there was still the old stone cultivation where um, uh, the old farmers in those days used to get a soft shale rock and they'd put a whole heap of, like in bundles and all the oysters would attach to it wild and we'd go there and chip all these oysters uh, off the stone. We'd also get the flat oysters and we'd put them in the mud, on the mud flats and you'd put three stakes about uh, one foot off the mud and put this flat rock on there and all the little baby oysters would catch underneath. And when they're the size of a 20 cent piece, uh, then the shell is, is big enough so the fish doesn't attack it. And then you'd flip it over and then wait for two years and you'd, with these timber sleds, we would, uh, on a low tide, push these timber sleds through the mud and chip these oysters. So I call that the Stone Age because it was the Stone Age. Then in the uh, Late 50s, it was late 50s, early 60s, the stick cultivation came in place. Now, we obviously entering the industry in the, in the 70s, we had both. And the stick cultivation was, uh, that's what really moved the industry because we started producing a lot more oysters. We started utilising deep water that we had 
but we couldn't put this stone out there and they used the sticks. And we did amazing oysters, um, growing them by stick. But now with a single seed where we catch our little oysters on slats, we've got baskets and we move them from small baskets up to bigger whole baskets as the oyster grows out, uh, you get a more uniform shape. Um, they're not, your, your density is, is uh, managed so you're not putting all, with, with stick cultivation, so many oysters. So sometimes there was too many oysters and you couldn't get those big plates to grow because there were so many oysters on the sticks. Uh, whereas now with a single seed, you can manage that density and you can produce a better oyster, I believe. Working with an identical twin brother can be challenging, especially if he's competitive and you might feel like you're constantly sharing the management of a business. But at least you can blame him when things go wrong. Well, it's good. You know, a lot of people say, oh, gee, you guys. So we, when, a lot of times we fight, a lot of times, and we have some really, really bad fights. And a lot of times the uh, the staff will look at us and, and think, um, mate, these guys here are going to get in a puncher. But, uh, yeah. But we get very vocal, but then we can turn around and go, oh, yeah, so what are you doing this weekend? You know, and we'll just normal. Now, what happens is when we're arguing, it's a lot about the farming, the techniques, the managing of of the oysters, uh, the sales, everything. And when you've got two blokes and if you've got a different view and we we do thrash it out, in the end, we do get a good result. Uh, sometimes we might be stubborn and we go, yeah, you were right. We'll never probably say that to each other. Yeah, you were right. Should have listened to you. But we'll, we'll, the person that gives in is the one that then realises that uh, they were the person that was probably uh, uh, in the wrong, so to speak. But by having that fierce debate, what I found is we've been able to make really good business decisions, right? If you, if you go with someone that always agrees with you and you agree with each other, you don't get the best result because you could be walking, you could be putting yourself in a position where it's not a good thing. But if you've got one bloke going, no, 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 you're wrong, whatever, and you have this debate, then you come up with a better decision. That's what I've found. So um, the end result has always been a good result, a good positive result. Growing up shucking oysters at your father's knee can be a source of great pride. It instills a sense of tradition and connection to one's family and community, as well as a deep appreciation for the hard work and dedication required to be both fast and neat. Shucking oysters also teaches valuable skills, such as patience, attention to detail, and a respect for nature and the environment. All the practice is also a pretty good way to prepare for the Naruma Oyster Festival shucking competition. I guess, again, it goes back to, to the, uh, the early days of have having have you have to do the orders so we would get all the orders in and you couldn't ring up uh, the the customers and say oh look you know you ordered 200 dozen you're not going to get them that was a no thing so you either worked long hours and really quick um or you employ people and and at that time when we're starting off we couldn't employ too many people you know we looked at the budget so that's what we did so we that's why we became fast openers because we had to push these orders out and uh, and we would always test ourselves and push ourselves and it's like i guess it's like anything else if you if you keep if 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 you keep pushing yourself keep pushing yourself and you're doing it every day you're going to get better 
and you're going to get quicker. And and that's what happened. Um, you know, we were taught right by the old man. He was taught by the people that taught him. And um, and uh, and I've, you know, since then I've probably trained 20 openers. Um, I've taught and coached uh, Duddy, who is an amazing opener and he's really quick and and very clean too. And uh, and he's a competitive type of bloke and that's why he's a great opener too, you know. The first year was, um, I th- I'm trying to think how long ago it was. It was six years ago. It was the first time I won it. So uh, it was good. It was, um, you know, it was, it was uh, I beat my brother. So that's, uh, you know, we have these arguments, but I beat him at that one. Um, and, and, um, and, yeah, it's, it's good. Um, uh, I, I guess, you know, when you win something, you feel humble and and that was pretty much how I felt you know it was good when I won three in a row that was really good and I had my eldest out my first granddaughter uh, she was there and uh, winning that three in a row was good because I then uh, gave her the medal she's got it tucked away and um, and when I beat the world champ last year I had my youngest granddaughter and I gave that medal to her Beating a champion as an underdog sportsman can be an exhilarating feeling. It is a triumph of hard work, perseverance and skill against seemingly insurmountable odds. Victory is not only a personal accomplishment, but also a validation of one's dedication and belief in oneself. It inspires a sense of pride in one's abilities and can also serve as a powerful motivator for future successes. For the spectators, it's an inspiring and memorable moment, a reminder that anything is possible with determination and effort. Stephen's a really, really nice guy. I had the pleasure to uh, spend a little bit more time with uh, Stephen when I went to to Ireland. I only met him, uh, when I first met him, was on that day just before we we raced. And I always knew it was going to be hard, a disadvantage to to Stephen because oysters aren't all the same. and the Sydney Rock is a very hard oyster to open. And you have to open thousands of dozens, not oysters, but dozens to really get a grip of what that oyster's like and how much force you put into it without breaking the shell, uh, how it pops open. Um, and, and, and I knew going into the race that he was going to struggle, not because he's a slow opener. He's not. He's a very good opener very quick it was just because uh he was uh, he was competing he was he was racing with an oyster that he's never experienced i think he only opened a handful of oysters so um but winning was amazing because when uh, when the crowd was was uh cheering you'd you're hearing the crowd go and then cheering and cheering but you don't think they're cheering for you because you think they're cheering for, well, they probably were cheering for Steve and, and whoever, and obviously Sally. Sally was in the race. Sally's amazing. She's a really good opener, and, of course, with Sally. But it's not until you win it and you hear this the cheer just go ballistic that you go, oh, some of them were cheering for me. <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> that's the way I felt, really. It was more of the crowd. The World Oyster Shucking Competition in Galway, Ireland is an annual event that attracts skilled shuckers from around the globe. 
Like the Narooma Oyster Shucking Competition, contestants are tasked with shucking as many oysters as possible in a set amount of time, with the fastest and most accurate shuckers crowned the winners. The competition is a celebration of oyster farming and shucking, as well as a showcase of the world's best shuckers and their techniques. Jimmy proudly represented Australia at the world title in 2022. Going to Ireland was a, a great experience. Uh, we met some really, really nice people. They're great people over there. And the country is, is a, an amazing country. And um, we, we uh, it was, so the, the competition, the World Comp was on a Saturday afternoon. The Friday, we all assembled at a, this is all the competitors, we assembled at a cathedral there, we met at the cathedral, and the bus came and picked us up. Uh, Stephen was there, uh, the Kellys, who are the major sponsors of, uh, of the World uh, Comp, and they also provide the oysters, they were there on the bus, and they took us to um, this uh, area where they had this cart with the oysters on it, and it was right on the edge of the river. And there, there were two other farmers met. They talked about the oysters. They had their native flat oyster, and that's the oyster that we used to race with. And they also had the Pacific oyster that they farmed. And they explained the two species. They, they told us their methods of, of uh, how they farm them and what they do and the waters and, and the Atlantic waters and everything. And then from there, uh, we went back on the bus and we went to um, we went to Moran's Seafood Cottage and it's a very well-known seafood and they, they say it's probably the best seafood re restaurant or cottage in Ireland. Beautiful place. It's got the old thatch roof over it and we went there for lunch and there was uh, more openers uh, that were going to compete and the Irish guys, a lot of the staff in there that opened the oysters, so they, they're well, they're known for their oysters. Uh, and a lot of the guys that opened the oysters there, they competed that night, the Friday night, uh, they competed in the national competition, the Irish national competition. So after, after the restaurant, we went back to this, we, we went back to the hotel and at six o'clock we went to, to, um, to the National Comp, the big marquee where they held the World Comp. And, uh, and of course, they had the Irish guys there. And they, they run a good show. They run a really, really good show. There was a lot of people, um, a couple of thousand people, I reckon, that would have been there. And, um, and uh, they had their national event. Unfortunately, Steve didn't win. He was the fastest, uh, but they pinned him on a couple of, uh, like you, you race and then the oysters go backstage and there the judges have a look and they look for if you've cut the oyster they'll subtract they'll add a couple of seconds to your time if the dirt the oyster is got shell on the meat you can have shell around it in the shell that's fine as long as it's not on the meat. So you want to be able to eat the oyster and not have big chunks of shell or mud or anything like that. So they they obviously, because he was the fastest time in racing, but they must have uh, taken a couple of seconds off him. So uh, the, he lost. Now, 
the night ended. It was a great night. We had David there that was going to represent Ireland. And then on the Saturday, we met around about 11 o'clock and we met all at the, uh, this is all the openers, at the square. And there you were handed your, your flag. And I tell you, it was an honour. It really was. It kind of hit, like, going and representing Australia. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't until they handed me the flag that I went, oh, shit, you know, I'm, I'm representing Australia. I know it's only opening oysters, but I've got the flag. You know what I mean? And I've got this flag here, and I'm the one that's carrying it. And, and that really hits you. That really goes, and everyone else gets their hand, handed their flags. So we get our flags handed, and there's a procession of all these school kids. Uh, they're about four different bands, and they're in their traditional colours, their school colours, playing the, the Irish flute and the drums, and they're all in front of us. So you've got the school kids with the marching bands and there's, there's uh, some seniors there too with the marching band, the oyster openers, and then another 500 people behind you. And we, we make our way from the square all the way through the old town of Galway, the beautiful old buildings and the pubs and, and every 50 metres they stop. I couldn't see what they were doing, but they were facing they must have been facing like certain buildings uh old buildings and they'll play a tune whatever there and then move on stop play a tune move on and then we go over the river and we get to where the big marquee is where they're holding the uh the, the world championship and um we get to the marquee there all the openers then go behind closed doors and they now what they're doing is you've got a number and you're picking out what heat you're going to go in. So they don't choose. There's 14 uh, competitors, and there was, I think there was five, five or six to a heat. So you just pick a number, and that was the heat that you would that you're uh, racing in. And um, I was in the second heat, and um, I. <laughs> I, I was a little bit disappointed. I kind of, because it's a different oyster, the, uh, the, the flat Ngazi, the flat oyster, it's different to our Ngazi oyster, uh, way different to our Ngazi oyster. And I practiced with our Ngazi oyster. And when I went to Ireland, this one here was different again. So on the Friday night, I forgot that part, back on the Friday night with the national comp, that's when I opened the, my first oysters on that Friday night. I was opening oysters for the people and I was getting my head around what technique I'm going to use to open. Do I go through the hinge? Do I go through the beak? Do I uh, put the knife underneath and cut? Do I just top, knock the lid off? I, I only had an hour to kind of work out what technique. And the technique that I used, a month later, I had watched the video and I looked at it and I go, are you kidding me? That's what you did. And and when you're in Ireland, you've got to be careful, uh, um, John, because those leprechauns, right, I'm telling you, they exist. And you, and you get to see these little buggers when you leave the pub, right? You never see them. They, when you leave a pub, they appear, right? And you know what they do? They drag you and put you in another pub, right? And... <laughs> 
and I think I must have had a few minutes, too many drinks, and and I didn't get enough sleep. So I didn't, um, uh, I didn't, uh, uh, ch- ch- I didn't pick my technique. I should have just ran my normal race, you know. But look, it was a great experience, and um, um, I think I came third last or something like that in the end. But um, it was an amazing experience. I met some really, really nice people, uh, the Irish and also the people that we competed against. Uh, and um, I, you know, to be quite honest, I wouldn't mind going back. I, Saturday's the, is, uh, the race and I'm looking forward to it. I, I want to go back and give it a second shot and see if I can do it properly and, and win it. If not, uh, whoever does uh, win on Saturday and goes, uh, to Ireland, I'll definitely put my hand up and help coaching them and and just you know give them some really good advice and and um, and tell them where what they should be looking at doing and and really just stick to what you do here in Australia. Just run that race, you know. Don't don't change. That would be my advice. And get there earlier and. Don't go to the pubs and that, you know, keep away from those bloody little leprechauns. The Australian Oyster Shucking Competition, held in Narooma, is one of the highlights of the annual Oyster Festival. The competition brings together some of the best oyster shuckers in the region, all vying for the top prize. As a contestant, the pressure is on to shuck as many oysters as possible in a limited amount of time, while maintaining accuracy and great presentation. The sound of the crowd cheering you on, the thrill of the competition, and the chance to showcase your skills in front of a live audience all contribute to the excitement of the event. Some refer to it as the Melbourne Cup of Oysters in Australia. Jimmy and his brother Johnny are regarded as champion thoroughbreds given their legendary performances at the event. Uh, so the, my thoughts for the competition is, my form's yeah, pretty much the same. Um, we've got some really good young openers that are coming up like last year uh, there's a handful of guys that work for Australia's Oyster Coast and for some other guys that competed uh, Travis um, I forget their names a couple of other dudes there but they're really good young openers and I'm sure that their their second time on the stage is gonna it gets very nerve-wracking when you compete and open an oysters in front of a crowd it's different when you do it and you're racing against each other at your workplace, but when you've got the crowd in front of you, uh, you do get stage fright and the nerves do go ballistic. And I tell them this, the young fellas, I get it. And I don't think that that because I've been doing it for a while, I don't get it. I get nerves too, and, and it's only normal, and that's what I'm trying to tell them. So the competition's gonna be strong, and, um, and, um, and, and how I'm feeling, I'm feeling all right. But uh, as I said, if, uh, if I get beat, I'll, it'll be my pleasure to help one of these young blokes if they're going to go over and, and, and it'll be a pleasure to help them and, and go along that journey and, and win it and come back with the wool. Uh, Johnny's form's good. Uh, uh, John's form's good, but he, he knows he's won it twice. So John's won it twice. And in those two times that he's won it, I haven't. Competed. I wasn't at the Naruma Festival. I had a few other things to do. So he knows that, right? And he knows that I'm that I'm racing this Saturday. So he's a little bit uh, sad because he's going to get beat. And uh, 
I might get beat by someone else, but he knows I'm going to beat him. So uh, that's where John's at. (laughs) An Australian oyster shucking champion and second generation Clyde River oyster farmer may contemplate retirement due to a variety of reasons. It could be a desire to spend more time with family or pursue other interests outside of oyster farming. The physical strain from years of farming and shucking, along with changes in the industry, may also encourage him to retire. Despite this, retirement for such an accomplished individual may be bittersweet, having devoted much of his life to the craft and the pride they take in their work. The decision to retire may also be influenced by the next generation of oyster farmers as they look to take on the mantle of contributing to the industry legacy. Whenever Jimmy Ianaris decides to retire, he can feel proud of the incredible job he's done farming great oysters on his beloved Clyde River and training a generation of master shuckers. If he does retire, there's sure to be a great sigh of relief from the many competitors in the annual Australian oyster shucking competition at Naruma. Look, the oyster industry is in a really good place. Um, there's uh, there's a lot of interest, and and uh, which is great. So that's telling you where the industry's at. So for us, you know, I'm 55, 56, me and John, and we're kind of saying, yeah, in the next five years or something, we might look at retiring. And, you know, we may, the plans are to probably sell Bateman's Bay oysters, uh, possibly keep three or four hectares uh, to just have a play around because we'll, I can't see us ever leaving the industry totally. You know, we'll scale down, but um, we, that, that's what we're looking at. You know, when we're 60, sell Bateman's Bay oysters um, and, uh, and, and, then, and then probably, you know, just keep, keep five, six hectares and just have a play around and still stay with, because there's a lot of good people in the industry, amazing people. Um, and, and that's the Room Oyster Festival, when we all get together, it's about farmers getting together. It's about farmers uh, talking about the last 12 months, how oysters have grown and what they've done, any new things in the industry, uh, baskets, whatever, anything, you know, new techniques, and we share all that. And we share all this because a lot of people go, oh, why do you give your trade secrets to other people and all this? Well, the farmer, our end result is to grow a great oyster and get it to the plate and make sure that everyone has that beautiful experience. And by sharing all the techniques, this is what we do is we, we, we farm a beautiful oyster, you know, and um, and if you keep the secrets or someone's got half of the secrets, then, then you know, you don't get that beautiful oyster and, and, and we share that. And, and Naruma Oyster Festival does that, it gets us together. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.